We're not a perfect family by any means, but we love each other and we will always be there for each other. That is how I like to describe my family, especially when times get tough. And this is the Korean Vegan Podcast, where we talk about how to live a more purposeful and empowered life. Welcome back to another episode of the Korean Vegan Podcast. This is Joanne Molinaro, your host. So now that we've all settled down from Thanksgiving Day and we're gearing up for the December holidays, I thought it might be nice or even helpful to talk about relationships. I was scrolling through Instagram and saw that Michelle Obama posted a series of photos with her husband taken in what appears to be one of those old school photo booths. And in her caption, she talks about how their marriage isn't always a fairy tale, but often requires work. It made me think of my own parents and how, for better or worse, their relationships shaped my understanding of marriage or any long-term partnership. So this week, I bring to you a little snippet of one marriage, neither perfect nor catastrophic, just real. Last week, I called my mom to wish her a happy Thanksgiving. During the call, my dad walked into their home and Oma attempted to give him the phone so he could say hello to me, but he refused. Not because he didn't want to talk to me, he called me a few minutes later, but because he was mad at my mom for some mysterious reason. Oma lamented the fact that daddy was throwing this little tantrum just a few hours before the rest of the family was due to come over for Thanksgiving Day dinner, but I knew that things would sort themselves out because, well, they always do. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage, and my parents' union is no exception to that rule. I got off the phone with Oma, and within a few minutes, my father called right on cue. Listening to his jolly voice wish me a happy Thanksgiving, Joanne, was all the reassurance I needed that everything would eventually be okay. It reminded me of another phone call I received from my dad back on Valentine's Day, bearing a similarly jovial cadence. I had stepped out for my run that morning, and about one mile in, I received a phone call. Although it had been a long time since I'd received a call during my run, it used to happen quite regularly when I was back at the firm. And as a result, gently squeezing my right earpiece to let the call come through as I continued to jog along the path was a practiced move. Hi, this is Joanne, I answered, modulating my breath so I didn't come across as, like, creepy. Ah, Joanne, is dad! There's something about my father's voice, particularly over the phone, that makes me at once protective, tense, and joyful. Hi, Daddy, I said as I followed the bend and the path along the Montrose golf course. What's going on? I can count the number of just-because phone calls I've had with my dad on one hand. Between the language barrier, cultural barriers, and just our personalities, we don't have that kind of relationship. So when I receive a call from my father... I instantly prepare myself for either bad news or a request for help with his internet. So how are you? It's cold. I can't play golf anymore. Why are you breathing so loud? Are you sick? Did you catch the corona? You need to be careful. 
This is my father's style of communication. He barrels through all of his thoughts in one long series of averments, inquiries, self-drawn conclusions, and finally a parental warning. Our conversations thus resemble a strange sort of ballad, composed largely of long, undulating phrases, my father punctuated by brief accents of acknowledgement and replies, me. As he continued to wander through his stream of consciousness style prose while I closed in on the 1.5 mile marker, it occurred to me that it was Valentine's Day and that perhaps this was what inspired him to call out of the blue. Valentine's Day is not a very popular holiday in South Korea. For my parents, it didn't even exist until they came to the United States. But for me and my mother, it became a source of intense anxiety as I started to bring home notes from my teacher about what was expected of students on that particular holiday. In retrospect, it was likely among a large assortment of oddities that caused my mother intense stress as she not only raised a little human being, but one that brought home customs and traditions that were brand new to her as well. Every night before Valentine's Day, my mother and I would head out to the local store, usually Venture, does anyone remember Venture, and pick out pink, glittery punch-out cards. We'd stay up into the wee hours, addressing each one to every single student in my grade. Over the years, my mother upgraded my Valentine's Day offering, allowing me to include small candy hearts, which I hated but pretended to love. And over the years, Valentine's Day grew into an opportunity to explore the soft fronds of grade school romance. Seth Davis will get a heart candy saying, I love you, while Sally will get one saying, BFF, I'd explain to myself, since my mother made it clear I was not permitted romances of any kind until college. Each year, I would come to school on Valentine's Day with a bundle of cards and candies, my small little heart wrapped tightly with expectations as ruddy and pink as my February face. And each year, I would come home crestfallen that the object of my heart hadn't reciprocated with an appropriately messaged candy heart, and I would throw them all out into the trash. So it should come as no surprise then that I started to notice that my father never gifted my mother with anything on Valentine's Day. I found this to be unacceptably cruel. They were married, after all, and one of the binding guarantees of marriage, as made clear by family ties, was flowers, a card, and a box of candies on Valentine's Day. I'd known from a very young age that my parents' marriage, well, it wasn't like the ones I saw on TV or those belonging to my non-Asian friends at school. They didn't speak English to each other over the dinner table, and they certainly didn't call each other honey or dear or other pet names. They didn't ever hug or kiss or hold hands, at least not in front of me. I also knew in the way that children just sort of know things that my parents' relationship was always on the brink of disaster and that it was up to me, the older child, to pull it back to relative safety. My mother was type A, super organized, a hard worker, and incredibly strict. She was also a little mercurial, <laughs> her temper often getting away from her over small things when we didn't stay within the thickly drawn boundaries she'd create for us, and that included my father. I realize now that my mother was parenting with chronic and severe levels of anxiety, and that any deviation from what she viewed as the path, something she would often talk to me about when I did things that were decidedly off the path, put her into panic mode. And fear has a tendency to manifest in anger because we hate the things that cause us fear. My father was disciplined and regimented. 
but also laid back in a way that often infuriated my mom. He loved to pop open a canister of peanuts and, with a bottle of beer still frosted from the fridge, sit back in his Lazy Boy and watch the most recent Lifetime Channel movie. He didn't let things that bothered my mom bother him, and my mom could never forgive him for that failure and solidarity, his unwillingness to join her in the emotional roller coaster that she orchestrated over every small infraction. She once told me about the time they both studied for the exam to become real estate agents. Alma spent weeks poring over her books and notes night after night after a grueling day at the hospital where she worked. In contrast, I can still vividly remember that my dad's study sessions, well, they were him sitting on the floor of our family room, a book cracked open on the coffee table in front of him, along with a plate of nuts and a can of beer and the Johnny Yoon show, Korea's version of the Johnny Carson show, blaring from our TV as daddy howled with laughter. Amma failed the test. Daddy, he passed. But that's not what marks the real difference between them. Amma failed the first time, but tried again and passed. She ultimately sold a couple houses with that real estate license. Daddy barely studied, passed the first time, and to this day has never done a darn thing with that license. He still very much enjoys the Lifetime channel. I think most people who know me and who know my mother will likely say that I am more like her than even I like to admit. I am goal-oriented to a fault, stubborn about sticking to plans, even when they don't make sense anymore, and I tend to fly off the handle over things that others might describe as small. And perhaps that is why, for so much of my childhood and into college, I often sided with my mom. So when my mother once complained bitterly that Daddy never came home with a bouquet or even a card on Valentine's Day, I marched over to my father and berated him for his failings as a husband. How come you never give Mommy flowers for Valentine's Day, I demanded. He shrugged and smiled congenially as I explained to him, as if he were some slow-witted child, that every year on February 14th he was required to come home bearing gifts for my mother. Over the years, I monitored his compliance with this directive, and I noticed that my mother often dismissed the gifts, barely looked at the flowers when she stuck them in a vase, and it wounded me, almost as if I were the one who'd come home with a bouquet wrapped in cellophane and a box of chocolates that no one in my family enjoyed. I never thought my father cared. These were the young or adolescent years of my parents' marriage, the years I had front row seats to as I grew up. More recently, as both of them have mellowed, they've settled into a remarkably beautiful friendship, as if they've both grown too tired trying to wrangle so much out of life and from each other and instead want to enjoy what they have made together for as long as they can. So, you running? Not too cold for you? I'm just calling to see how everything doing. You know, COVID is dangerous. My father poked through my short reverie. Somehow, he'd caught on that I was running, maybe I'd mumbled something to that effect, and I could hear the smile in his voice. I grew more and more certain with every step that the only reason he'd called was because of that conversation I'd had with him decades ago, when he understood my remonstrations about how important Valentine's Day was to my mother, as how important that day was to me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that very brief, short little peek into my parents' relationship and perhaps more significantly how it continues to impact my own connection with my father. 
As we head into the end of this year, when things can get a little stressful and maybe even a little heated, however hard we try to guard against tension, I'm reminded of something I heard recently while watching my father's favorite channel. We're not a perfect family by any means, but we love each other and we will always be there for each other. And no, I still have no idea why my dad wasn't talking to my mom on Thanksgiving Day, but I spoke to them yesterday and they were both right as rain. All right. Let's move on to Ask Joanne. Every week, I invite newsletter subscribers and listeners of the pod to submit their questions on life, on love, on whatever it is they've got on their mind. And this week, Marisol asks, Hi, I am just about to graduate with my BSN, which is a Bachelor's of Science in Nursing, in the hopes that this field will allow me to support myself and I can afford my hobbies and health. But part of my brain wonders what would have happened if I had pursued my dreams rather than the stable option. Should I just let it go? Well, Marisol, first of all, congratulations on coming so far on your path towards a BSN. I think sometimes we don't stop and give ourselves enough credit for obtaining degrees, especially in this day and age when it takes such a commitment, both intellectual and financial, to procure one. In regards to your question, I'm reminded of that chapter in Louisa May Alcott's Little Woman, where the girls and Laurie discuss their castles in the air. You see, dreams are just that, the things we wish we could have or be without any foundation beneath them. Yet, your task, if you choose, is to build that foundation and a path to the very front door of your castle in the air. Have you ever tried to build anything? I once spent a summer as a part-time construction worker slash janitor at my high school. I spent the first day cleaning out the Olympic-sized school pool, and I spent the second day laying down and taping tarp on the floors of the classrooms that needed to be repainted. I spent the third day inside the bowels of my school wearing construction gloves and a hard hat as I helped to chuck debris into a huge dumpster. Sounds so very glamorous. Sometimes we think that the process of building that foundation for and the path towards our dreams is as lovely as the dreams themselves. And while that process can certainly be pleasurable at times, the tasks can often be rather mundane, ordinary, annoying, and downright unpleasurable. I say this because I think, as you already alluded to, moving forward with the BSN, which you presumably selected as your major because you wanted to, and the stable option can support your hobbies and health. Put another way, the financial stability afforded to you through a job in nursing can give you the buffer you need in order to start laying the foundation for your castle in the air. It can give you the tools you need to identify the best path, which may not necessarily be the shortest path to the front door of that castle. And most importantly, it will give you the time to recognize whether that castle is one you truly wish to enter. When I was 10 years old, it was my dream to become a pop star like Mariah Carey. I wanted to be rich and famous with Grammys lining my mantle. When I was 18, it was my dream to marry the boy I'd loved since I was 13 years old, buy a house in the burbs with a white picket fence and raise three kids. When I was 26, it was my dream to become a rain-making partner, 
one who wowed juries with perfectly delivered closing arguments while striding around the courtroom in a pair of Louboutins. Dreams change because you change. More important than any castle in the air is the architect who designs it. Focus on the person you want to be. Commit to that dream weaver, that architect, the one who will eventually help you build that foundation so that you are able to traverse the path to a castle that looks altogether familiar instead of some far-off distant dream that, in retrospect, doesn't belong to you after all. Wishing you all the best. Thanks so very much, Marisol. I wish you so much luck with your career in nursing or whatever it is you ultimately choose to do. If you have a question about your career path, your dream, your loves, your life, feel free to hit the link below and ask Joanne. Now we're on to updates and random things. I don't really have a lot of updates, just a couple of thoughts. Number one, what am I watching? Well, I ripped through a number of Korean dramas, but I would say over the past week, the most enjoyable thing that I've watched was actually a film. I know I barely watch movies anymore because I feel like I don't get the high intense drama that you do in like a docu-series or a show. But this movie with Florence Pugh called The Wonder was beautifully done, a really remarkable story. And I think why the movie was so successful, especially nowadays, again, when I think many people are used to, you know, a six to eight episode drama was because it didn't bite off more than it could chew. It was a very self-contained story, one that I would imagine was written like a novella or even as a short story. And it was just done really, really well, perfectly executed. And of course, Florence Pugh, she's one of my favorite actresses of all time, stunningly beautiful, and just does this like powerhouse performance as an English nurse who's come to Ireland to take care of a very young girl who claims to be surviving even though she hasn't eaten any food for four months. I know, just a very random little story, but told so well. I highly recommend you check it out. It is on Netflix right now, and I think it was trending the other day, which is why I even happened to find it. Another update, I recently released my very first official holiday gift guide. And in it, you'll find a bunch of little gifts that you can pick up so that you can cross off a bunch of names on your holiday gift list. If you haven't already subscribed to the newsletter, this is why you want to do it. You want to subscribe so that you can get things like the holiday gift guide. I'm actually really, really proud of it. I spent a lot of time working on it. And I think it's incredibly useful. I wish somebody had done this for me. I'm sure there are a ton of gift guides out there, but this one is for somebody who is not only plant-based and vegan, but, you know, cares about their health and their body and fitness and all of those, just basically all the things that Joanne likes. This is basically not even a holiday gift guide. It's just like my favorite things. (laughs) So go ahead and hit the links below if you are interested in this year's holiday gift guide from the Korean vegan. And with that, we're now at parting thoughts.
So I'm reminded of this really incredibly powerful clip I saw on an episode of the Rich Roll podcast. And it's actually where Rich is talking with his guest about how often he gets to see his parents. He tells his guests, well, I see my parents maybe once or twice a year. And the guest asks him, well, how long do you think your parents will live? Well, I don't know, maybe another 10 years. And he says to Rich, well, that means maybe you'll see your parents 10 more times before they die. My parents are in their mid-70s, and the idea that I might only see them for a handful more times is really terrifying to me. So I try to make the most of their time with me. One of my old high school friends mentioned to me that she and her husband had heard me talk about this clip from the Ritual podcast during an interview, and that as a result, her husband started visiting his parents, who live across the country, a lot more often. And he made the trip alone without his wife and kids. It was not only more convenient, but it ensured that the time he got to spend with them was about them as his parents, not as the grandparents to his four kids. Whether your parents or grandparents are still alive, this serves as a reminder that we should never take the time we have left with any of our loved ones for granted. Even though you'll likely be seeing them in the next few weeks, you'll be having them over for dinner, or maybe having them as guests in your home to the point where you want them to leave again, I still suggest that you give them a call right now, just because. Thanks everyone for joining me for a rather abbreviated episode of the Korean Vegan Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed the past Thanksgiving holiday and are looking forward to the upcoming December holidays. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And if there was something particularly interesting about this episode, feel free to share it with your friends, your family, your loved ones, or even on social media. In the meantime, until next week, have a lovely, joyous, and wonderful day. Thank you.